As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, we are here at the All-Star break. The Canucks are in Florida. Harm and I are in BC as this All-Star Week edition of the VanCast uh, brought to you by uh, our resident All-Star, Harmon Dial. Um, the Canucks... Nowhere near a playoff spot, mired in even further controversy just when we thought what happened with Bruce was going to be the end of it and they could move forward. No, we've got Ilya Mikheyev, and I know for many of you, this has kind of come and gone, and we've got some different takes on it. Um, Harm, let's start with you. Where are the Canucks with what happened with Tanner Pearson? You know, and we've, we've had other medical issues that have come up before that. Let's start there because you can debate whether or not it was safe for him to play and whether it was the right move for him to do so. For me, I'm not as aghast on this particular issue as some others are, and certainly not as aghast as maybe I was on the Tanner Pearson issue, but what's your take on how the Canucks handled Ilya Mikheyev and his knee injury? Yeah, I don't have a big problem with it, to be totally honest. It's it's funny because I did one year of, of nursing school before I dropped out to take this uh, job, so I was pulling out the old nursing textbook, the, nice. the anatomy and physiology Figuring out, um, you know, finding the the chapter where, where they talked about uh, all the ligaments uh, surrounding the knee. So, uh, but no, in all seriousness, I didn't have a big problem with it because with the ACL, it's it's funny because torn ACL is obviously a, a huge requires a huge recovery and the surgery and and it's really um, a challenging rehab. But it is the sort of injury that you can sort of manage if the other sort of ligaments around the knee are, are pretty stable and and there are ways to sort of manage it in the short term. We know, especially in a sport like hockey, because it'd be different if this was football or basketball where there's a lot of um, sudden twists and turns and sudden changes in direction. Um, Running-wise, the 
with hockey is just different. Your, your hips are so much more involved in skating. That's what players always obsess over with their stride is more the hips and keeping those healthy as opposed to the knees. So obviously with the ACL and in Mikheyev's situation, you could tell that it had an impact on the way where he didn't have that same explosiveness with, with his first two, three steps. But with, with the way you just load weight um, and bear with skates on ice is different. And so with Mikheyev coming out and his camping very clear that they wanted to play through this, that there was a rigorous process in, in, in check-ins to ensure that there would be no, that, that there wouldn't be significantly higher risk of making this worse and um, injuring and, and making the injury worse. I didn't really have a huge, uh, huge problem with it. I got to be honest. Like this is the second show in a row. We're kind of agreeing on something like this. I could not have agreed with what you're saying more and how you framed it because it is a different sport. When you're in that boot and you've got a different level of constrictiveness and you you don't have to explode and burst and twist like you do when you're changing directions in football and basketball. Like this, the skating movement is significantly different than a running movement. And how you lead and open up on change of direction on skates versus when you're running, completely different. Now, is it a good thing? It's not like the ligament's going to regenerate, right? Like it's not like you're helping the injury or that it could recover and you could play through it like another injury that in a month, whether you're playing on it or not, it's probably going to get a little bit better. That's not going to happen with an ACL. But I, you know, I've dealt with specialists on it with football players and I know the differences. And even in football, if you play a certain position versus another position, you can brace it and effectively function. Um, whereas with, uh, you know, if you're a receiver or defensive back, like it, it's going to be virtually impossible. And, you know, is the ligament partially torn versus completely torn? Because once it's completely torn, the risk of further injury is so much more diminished, right? Whereas a partially torn one could get completely torn. And, but it, it seemed that it, they were pretty understanding of the fact that in late September, they knew this was going to be op- needed to be operated on. So for me, the only question I have is timing and whether or not any of it actually makes a difference. Because there is a point in time at the start of the season where the Canucks think they're a legitimate team and a legitimate contender to make the playoffs and the whole anything can happen thing. So there's an upside to him playing, even if it's going to be 49 games of the season, which he's done to this point. Now, obviously, they realize the season's going nowhere and they should, you know, they've decided to pull the pin to get him ready for September. If it was me, I'd probably do it a month earlier, right? Just to ensure that he's ready for training camp and there's no residual effects because the recovery on an ACL, it's not always six to nine months. It could be nine to 11 or nine to 12, depending on who you talk to in all of this, right? So, um, and, and again, the requirements in a sport like football are different than they are in hockey. So it's more likely to be, closer to the front end of that than it is to the back end of that. So all of that said, I probably would have pulled him off the ice a month earlier, but from their standpoint, maybe they wanted to wait and see if all of a sudden they could get the dead cat bounce and they could play him and who knows. So, but the thought of him playing a period of time with the ACL is not the end of the world, in my opinion. And, and again, I know it's very easy to pile on. I understand the criticism because this team and this organization has justified so much criticism on the medical front in recent weeks and months 
that I, I get why you're upset, but overall, I'm not just going to pile this on top of the last thing and the next thing. It is pretty clear the player and his team and his agent were on board. They sought second and third opinions. The only thing amusing was the Mikheyev tweets after the fact, which for a player who speaks broken English to have perfectly, perfectly articulated tweets in this moment and to suggest that somebody didn't write or vet them is, is kind of like vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, it was it's right. It could use a five, $5 words. It was a drencher thesaurus. But um, yeah, other than that, I don't know. I, like to me, I'm going to move on from it and I'm not going to be critical unless he's not ready for training camp, to be quite frank. If he's not ready for training camp, then I'll go back to they should have pulled him off a month or two earlier. Yeah, that's totally fair. We even saw in Montreal recently, Cole Caulfield, who just got shut down as having major sh- shoulder surgeries, could be out for months and months, similar sort of timeline as whatever McCabe is looking at, the Canadians let him play for basically a month. And obviously it's different because for McCabe, it was the whole season to this point, but that just sort of reinforces in general that it's not totally un- unheard of to have a player who's facing major surgery at some point, but the injury is such that you can manage it for a little while and that, okay, you eventually sort of shut it down when you know the the season's done. It's interesting because First, first of all, offensively, Mikheyev was still clipping at a 23-goal, 50-point pace. Like In terms of the season that he's had, it, 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 it explains a lot in terms of maybe the, the, the two-way impact and it maybe not quite being what we expected. But I still find it quite impressive that he put up the level of offense that he did. We definitely didn't see him dominate on the forecheck the way we may have thought of. And while he had breakaways, he didn't have that like Tyler Mott level uh, separation speed that we... <laughs> Um, Tyler Mott level, good. Yeah, right. it's it's that, that's the best I think reference for Canucks fans. Um, and you could see it in the two way results too, where when Pedersen and McKayev played together, uh, I looked it up in three hundred and four, five and five minutes, they only controlled forty five percent of shot attempts. Which, considering the quality we look at, Pedersen as a two way driver, considering McKayev's track record of driving high end two way results. You uh, you definitely wouldn't have imagined those those numbers being um, that poor in terms of controlling play, the two way side of it. Now, um, even in, when McKayev played without Pedersen for around another three hundred five and five minutes, controlled just around forty two percent of expected goals. So there was clearly a, a significant difference um, in how he was driving play, the level of defensive impact he was able to make. So that's at least one side of it where you're hoping that once he's been able to recover, if he can maintain the level of of offense that he showed this season, in addition to then seeing a boost in how he's able to um, help his line control play territorially, that's, um, that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, when he signed with the Canucks, what was the single biggest asset that he possessed? And that was speed, right? I mean, we were talking about a player who has you know, McDavid level speed and, and not that he can play the game that way, but, you know, cause he certainly doesn't have the ability to make plays at speed, which is what separates McDavid, but he's a player that could chase him down, you know, and, and could, um, could use that speed in so many other areas for this team in terms of the forecheck and, uh, and being able to drive that way. So the fact that it was apparent to all of us that that was missing, right? Like it did affect him, but to your point, he still managed to produce at a reasonable clip, and he was he was providing value to this club, even if they weren't controlling play to that level, especially given whatever potential alternatives uh, this team had very quickly. So I get why they played him. I get why he wanted to play. And like I said, hopefully everything times out well, and they'll have him ready for training camp next September, and we're not talking about this. But easy to pile on, uh, easy to 
absorb this issue in with everybody else, but um, I'm, you know, I'm just not willing to do that quite yet. And I, I know Drancher's got a different take on it, and he's talked to some agents, and and they feel differently about it. But um, from my perspective, it's it's not as egregious as other things that we've seen here. So uh, we'll move on from Mikheyev and wish him the best in a one speedy thing, recovery. Yeah, like one thing, and this doesn't have a fault with either Mikheyev or the team or anything, but just in general, I do wonder. Like the concern I have with the Mikheyev now is he's never come close to playing 82 games in a season. He's played four years in the NHL. His first year in 2019-20, his wrist got sliced, only played 39 games. 2021 was a shortened, shortened campaign. He, he played 54 or 56 games, so that's good. Last season, he only played 53 games. I think he had a broken thumb in there. Now we're looking at this season, 46 games, and that required him playing through injury even to get to those 46 games. So that's the concern I have is, is he an injury prone player? It feels like every injury that he's had is different and it's a lot of them have been freak accidents, but it is a bit concerning to me that he hasn't really come close to playing 82 games in, um, in a season yet. And it also is interesting in the sense that ACL injuries, if you remember with Antoine Roussel, for example, he was never really the same in terms of the jump that he had um, after his ACL injury. It, it depends, right? Uh, some players like Zach Hyman, he tore his ACL in 2019. He um, he was great the next season. He didn't skip a beat. Um, but then you also have examples of like Sammy Blay was one of the center centerpieces that the Rangers brought in during the Pavel Buchnevich trade. Blay tore his ACL last season. Now he's at a point where he hasn't scored a single goal this this year. And he's uh, he's down in the American League. So not to say that McKay is going to have this precipitous drop off moving forward, but it is concerning to me overall the the track record we've seen in terms of his health. And I just hope that we don't lose any of that explosiveness in his speed when he is eventually back and healthy and uh, returns to the lineup next season. Absolutely. Um, as far as the All Star break is concerned, uh, just what do you make of? I don't know that we necessarily need to do a pre-All-Star game recap. We did do a 41-game recap uh, about a week and a half ago, I think. So what what happens here? And we're not talking trades, but it's unfortunate for Rick Tockett that he's not in a position to teach, right? That they don't have two to three days before the All-Star break where they can kind of get together, reassemble, practice, and, and camp it up, as it were. Instead, they're going to be on the road in New Jersey before their first practice actually occurs. So there's really no opportunity to teach. Um, they've done a fair bit via film and meetings and things like that. Like, is there any more that can be gained in terms of Rick Tockett's ability to impart wisdom and structure and system and messaging to this team during the break? Or do they just got to figure it out when they get to New Jersey? I think they just got to give them a clean break. If anything, it would be... It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't do Talkit or the coaching staff any good if they tried to even virtually do any sort of teaching or sending along material. It's like this is the perfect time for the Canucks. It could actually benefit the coaching sta- staff in a sense where think about how much these players have been through emotionally, physically. Another losing season. This is like they they need a break, right? They need that time to just be able to unplug from the craziness, unplug from the madness, be able to spend time with their families, actually enjoy some of the finer things in life, get back into hobbies, go go out on a beach, enjoy some warm weather, whatever it is that that 
that they want to do to unwind and relax, but they desperately need that opportunity to relax. And sometimes that time away from the game, that time away from work can then re-energize you when you're ready to to get back to work again, which I think is going to be essential because it is going to be a monumental task for talk it and and the players in terms of you're having to absorb a lot of uh, absorb a lot of information while also having to play a ton with the schedule coming up in February. So I think I think they'll actually benefit from a clean sort of break and a mental reset because if if anything, it would have been tough for, for the players, I think, to go from all those emotions associated with Bruce Boudreaux's departure, all the craziness surrounding the trade deadline everything around Pearson's injury, like just all of that outside noise, and then having to also learn from a new coach, learn X's and O's, build new relationships. I think they'll actually really benefit from this time off with the All-Star break. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, they're, they need the time. They need to mentally decompress and reset because ultimately I think everybody sees the writing on the wall here and especially now with Patrick Alvin's comments and we'll get into that after the break but I think there is an understanding that there's not going to be a playoff push there's not going to be a dead cat bounce yeah there's going to be a soft schedule and you know the Canucks aren't necessarily going to you know lose out because they're going to be in a position to win games. We'll see what happens with Demko, all of those things. But I don't think this is a team that's two points out of a playoff spot and now they're gearing up motionally and they're asking them to rest their minds for one big push. But it's almost like resetting your mind in order to reset expectations for when you come back, that there's still another shoe to drop in the form of the Horvat trade. But get all of this out of your mind and, and start change. I don't want to say changing your goals. I think these players are wired to win, but it's just like if you've been a player that has underperformed, you've now got the opportunity to stop and reset and maybe hit a new target between now and the end of the season, right? And from a coaching perspective, when they come back, I think the biggest thing they want to change is culture and they want to change system play, right? And, you know, create a level of work ethic and a level of consistency that we haven't seen here for at least three years. So there are some gains to be made and some victories to be had, even if they're not necessarily in the standings. We're going to take a a quick break and uh, so much more to get into when we come back, including what the trade deadline could look like for the Canucks and whether or not we're going to see Pod Colson and Hoagland are up with the big club anytime soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, Harm, let's start with the after effects of the Mikheyev shutdown. And you've lost Lane Peterson. Um, again, not a significant player. There's some upside to that from a cap standpoint, but, you know, a depth piece, but uh, that they had decided to, or they were able to turn into an asset. So now when 
you're, you're losing a few of these pieces. There are spots, and we could look at the bottom six of this lineup, even without the Mikheyev injury, and say, look, these guys should be up here. But as we heard from Ryan Johnson, that at least for this point in time, the organization wants to have these guys develop here in Abbotsford and keep that development path going. Uh, I asked um, Alvin the day that Rutherford got uh, let go and, and talking came in, are we going to see these guys? And they did say, yes, at some point we're going to see them here. So what's the best path for these two players? Yeah, it's a really good question for me. The overall overarching philosophy is when these guys come up, when you make that decision, you want them to be in the best possible position to not have to go back down. And so for for me, that means for starters, you want these guys dominating in the American League. Both Pod Colson and Hoaglander have been productive, but they're not quite dominating, right? They're they're quite a quite a way short of the point per game mark, for example, which isn't a problem. They're going to take time to really build up their confidence again, especially with the way the first half of the season in the NHL went. But I want them feeling really confident about their game. And I don't want it to sort of be like, oh, Mikheyev is out now and lost Peterson. So that's our uh, that's our premise for bringing these guys up. No, I mean, you can you can call up whomever in, in terms of your quad A talent in Abbotsford the Phil DiGiuseppe's of the world, obviously, who's now on the roster to temporarily play games for you. For me, I want them to continue developing down there, get an opportunity to play top line, top power play, PK, all these sort of different roles, especially given a player like Pod Colson, for example. Again, I've mentioned this point, point many times. For so many years, even going back to when he was developing as a prospect in Russia, He's just so used to playing fourth line minutes, fourth line minutes, fourth line minutes, being the 12th to 13th forward that I I think it would greatly benefit his game to have an extended stretch where he is leaned on as the guy to drive the bus and be an offensive leader, two-way leader in all situations. So for me, I I wouldn't hesitate to leave them down for a little while longer. And when you're confident that their game is at a level where once you call them up, they're going to stick there for the entire for the entirety of uh, the rest of the season and and you know that they're going to get meaningful opportunities to play with the big club that's the point where i would um i i would feel confident to bring those guys up i I, i'm not sure if we're quite there yet but i don't think we're far off maybe once you see some pieces go um at around the trade deadline um or you start making moves surrounding that that's when you maybe consider bringing these guys up because you'll have opportunities opening up if a if a player like corvette's gone so that's kind of the mindset and philosophy that I'd have. Yeah, you know, for me, I think today you can put them up here and put them in a top six role. And I don't think that um I don't think that's a bad thing for them. And I think it's a good thing for them to be able to learn Rick Tockett's system, his teaching style, all of it for an extended period of time. And I think Tockett is aligned enough with Alvine and Rutherford that if you brought those guys up and the instruction was these guys are going to play 14 to 15 minutes a night, period. Make it happen. Find the right role, get them with the right players. And and honestly, I wouldn't mind one of them up here while Horvat was up here. So they can play with them. Because when Horvat gets traded, they're probably going to bring in another roster player. It's not like they're going to do the smart thing and trade him for high draft picks, right? I mean, they've made it pretty clear what their priorities are. So I don't know that those opportunities are going to open up wide because when they bring up these additional reclamation projects, they're going to want to take a good look at them and see what they have there. So to me, 
this is the time. Bring him up now. Give him an extended run. Let him play with better players, especially now that they've got, you know, quote unquote, three legit centers. And we can debate the Miller part of that. But, you know, in their mind, they've got three centers. So bring these guys up now while, while those spots are there to be had, because we're seeing, you know, Sheldon Dries and, and, you know, Jack Stadnikas and other guys that are up and down Dakota Joshua and they're getting time with these centers. And like, I, I don't know that there's, you know, a big future for those guys with the big club here on a regular basis in top nine roles. So why not get them up here? The problem with Bruce is, is, is when they were up here, they were getting buried for ice time and they were in many cases being scratched, right? So there's no point in doing that. So I'm with you from the standpoint that they need to be playing meaningful minutes in order to develop properly. But I think they've learned a lot there. And there, look, there's a case to be made and they can continue to learn there. And I'm not diminishing the value of playing in the American Hockey League or disrespecting that level in any way. And if there's one person in the organization who's got this figured out, it's RJ, right? So to kind of be around that influence and that environment from a development side is not a bad thing. But I do think there's something to be gained by them playing here now because of who's still here and the opportunities that may not be there after the deadline. Again, there... They're going to get brought up at some time here, right? Like, I think Alvin knows that. But in the end, if if Abbotsford makes it to the playoffs, then you hope those guys are going to play down there and wind up getting some run. And hopefully they can have a playoff run that lasts longer than three quick games like it did last year. But, you know, for me, I, I do think there's value to, to being able to play at NHL pace with and against NHL players, as long as they're playing. The flip side of the coin, though, is that Talkett already has so much on his plate right now terms of installing systems, building relationships with all the players on his on his team, uh, addressing um, and sort of trying to overhaul the the culture, becoming acclimated and understanding what he has in every player. That when you think about the development that Hoglander and Pod Colson require, it requires a lot of one on one time. It requires a lot of teaching. It's a a, a very Har- intensive task. They had nine coaches on the ice the first day they were there while Gonchar was here. They had nine at one point. There's lots of room for them to get one-on-one teaching. But like, let's be real here. Next year are the chances of those two guys being in the opening night lineup greater than some of the other players I mentioned, like sure, Stadnika, like sure, Sheldon Dries. Sure, but you also like want to ensure that those guys are actually going to run with the role and excel there, right? Because we can talk about Hoglander and, and Pod Colson and, and how they absolutely they got scratched and they didn't have a lot of faith and confidence, but there were also opportunities where they got minutes with top nine talent. I mean, you think about some of the runs that Pod Colson had with Pedersen, you think about how you know the opportunity where Hoglander did have opportunities at certain points over Bruce Boudreaux's tenure to sort of stick with top talent. And you could tell that the confidence wasn't there. And that's why I look at a player like Hoaglander. He's, he, he just recently turned 22. He's only played the only HL time he's had as a second round pick is the 17 games that he's played. Now he was fast tracked to the NHL. My only worry is if you put those guys back in those top nine roles before they're ready to actually produce there, before they have a sky high confidence to where they can take the baton and run with it, that it could hurt their confidence. Where like let, let's put it this way. Let's say they're playing good but not great in the American League right now, not not at an elite level. If they come up and now they're getting opportunities with Pedersen and a guy like Pod Colson or, or Hoaglander is still struggling to finish, 
do you want them to feel that pressure or feel that self-doubt of, am I, am I capable of, of producing here? These guys have barely spent any time in the American League, again, playing in these um, roles where they can build that confidence and really develop their skills, especially in an environment in Abbotsford, which you consider a lot of the other young prospects, the time, the, the, the extra time they're getting with the Sedins, especially. Like, I think that's a great environment for them to develop, especially when you consider, let me put it this way, for example, you look at Lane Peterson, right? Lane Peterson was essentially in Abbotsford going at a goal a game, 17 goals in, in 18 AHL games, 24 points. And we saw that at the NHL level, he wasn't really able to impact things at a top nine level. Well, you, well, you look at Hoaglander right now, for example, 11 points in 17 games. Um, you look at Pod Colson, he's uh, right around that uh, point per game mark as, as well, 16 points in 26 games. Like These guys are playing well. I'm not worried about their production or anything, but it's not like these guys are blowing the doors down um, uh, and, and demanding that they need this opportunity. I don't mind overbaking them a little bit in the American League and taking a level of patience that these guys didn't originally have when they made it to, to North America. Well, but the th- the, on the other side of that is that Right now, there's no pressure anymore, right? There was pressure early in the season for these guys to produce because the Canucks still had expectations. There isn't now. What takes away confidence is when you fail and you then start getting a lesser role because there's pressure on the coach to get this thing done. They don't have to create that environment for them. Like They can bring them in and say, you're going to get some run. We're going to give you some meaningful time. Don't worry about making a mistake because we're now in a learning environment, right? So- Hey, look, and, and like I said, I, I, I get what you're saying from an Abbotsford standpoint um, that they haven't dominated yet. They're playing well. Uh, they haven't dominated. They're getting better roles now. But ultimately, like I said, these guys are going to be here next year. And what's going to put them in the best position to succeed? And I, and I just think that there's a different type of structure. And some people will tell you, like even goaltenders, I had a conversation with Kevin Woodley about this once about how, you know, it's so difficult. It's It's more difficult for a goaltender to read the play with his defenseman at the American League level because there's just a level of structure at the NHL level that just doesn't apply in the American Hockey League, right? And so it makes reads a little bit more difficult. And there are players who find that when everyone else is kind of doing the right things, it's easier for them to seamlessly integrate. And you're so, you know, let's see. Let's wait a couple weeks and see if they wind up all of a sudden with some increased roles getting more – uh, production or getting even more confident, then they're ready to go. But personally, I just I don't see a lot of downside because they're now in a teaching environment here, not a pressure packed environment, and that might be a better one for them to thrive in than maybe what happened a couple of months ago before they first got sent down. And, and like I said, I mean, the chances of those two players being here ahead of guys like Brock Besser, Sheldon Dries, maybe Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua. Uh, you know, Will Lockwood, who's now on IR. Uh, it, like, there's a lot of guys here that just, you know, uh, Jack Stednika, that those two players, Pod Colson and Hoaglander, they're just more likely to be here. And uh, and I see Vasily Pod Colson now on the Canucks roster on their website. I wonder if that means anything. Did they announce anything? I haven't seen anything. I'm just looking at their – I just happen to just pull up their website as we're talking, and lo and behold – uh, Vasily Podkolzin is uh, is on there now. That's not the league roster, but uh, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if there's we'll see if there's anything coming. Um. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get into uh, let's get into a couple of other topics here. And for me, I want to talk a bit about um, Bo Horvat. And 
Actually, you know what? Let's let's we'll, we'll do that on the other side. But uh, all Alvin's comments and Talkit's comments. Let's start with Talkit. We've touched on Alvin's a little bit about um, you know how where he's kind of acknowledged where they are in the standings, right? And how they're in twenty seventh place and they're struggling with a number of underlying metrics, uh, which I'm sure was music to Drancer in your ears. But Talkit talking about trust and how there's a lack of that, not just in the building but up and down the organization. Were you surprised he went that far? No, just because talk, it's a straight shooter. I mean, after the second game, we we heard him straight up call his team soft. And to be honest, I don't mind a straight shooter in that sort of situation, calling it for what it is. Uh, I, I mean, we had Stance Meal 13, 14 months ago uh, call out, for example, how he felt that from top to bottom, there wasn't enough accountability in the organization and that it's time time to stop the finger pointing and blaming, right? So, I don't think it's a surprise for us to hear that there may be this sort of environment, especially because, look, that's just what it's not that these these players and the people in the organization are necessarily bad people or or bad characters. It's just this is kind of what losing can uh, can build in terms of the culture, the environment. It's tough. You have hyper competitive people who are wired to win and have basically won their entire lives. You're throwing them in a really tough sort of adversarial environment where they're they're going through they're going through these difficult challenges on and off the ice sometimes you're gonna lose that trust in each other You're, you're going to have a lot of the finger pointing and the blaming so for me it's it's more a symptom of the losing culture that this organization has been through rather than necessarily maybe the root cause or or that that's the root issue no, that, that's fair. Like I, it, well, I've said before, the room is toxic um, and people have wanted more details, which, you know, I'm not prepared to give at this moment. But uh, at the end of it all, it doesn't mean every one of these players is toxic. It just means the mix is bad and losing does lead to some things, right? And, you know, you always talk about the, you know, the true test and true character of a locker room should be able to withstand all of that and really in but quite often losing reveals it right like it it does reveal what is there underlying it does tell you a lot about players uh, not just on the ice but how they respond to losing but yeah you're right Lo- like it just becomes worse on so many levels right i mean it's just it's not fun to go to work i i'll tell you honestly right and it's certainly it's not about me or any media member i've never enjoyed being around a group of players less than this group and part of it is because there's a culture that's been formed Right. Like for the first time in my 28 years on the job harm, it's work. It's work covering that team. I've never felt that way before. Right. And if you ask me to go down the list of players and, and say, is this a good guy? Is this a good guy? Is this a good guy? Is that a good guy? Like, you know, 20 of the 23 players in that room, I would probably turn around and say, are great guys or I just don't know them well enough to pass judgment. And there might be two or three that you kind of roll your eyes at a little bit, but you know, how much are they worse because of the room, right? Or because of the losing, I should say. So it's um it's a tricky situation and it's tough to manage. And it's good to get fresh eyes like Rick Tockett on it. And, you know, hopefully he's in a position to suss out who's just down because of the losing and who's just down because that's who they are. Right. So um, but I, ultimately, I was surprised to see him, you know, get as deep as he did. And it's great because he's now he's the one guy in the building that has the opportunity to do that. And you can't be critical of him because he's not part of the problem. 
he's really right now, he's strictly an outside observer. Yes, it's his job, but in terms of his run, he's nothing more than an outside observer at this point. Is that fair? Yeah. And his task in the early going is really just intel gathering. It's information gathering. It's understanding the challenges that this roster faces, the challenges that, that this group faces, understanding what direction they need to go to to craft an identity, understanding what direction they need to go to to sort of rebuild that culture. So for him in the beginning portion, it's it's not so much teaching. And, and that's what really stood out to me. Even again, the the first practice I saw him, it was more just about trying to trying to talk to other people, uh, other players, build those relationships, and and really just under make sure that instead of barging in and and dictating the way he thinks a hockey team should be led, making sure to spend a lot of time figuring out what the deficiencies are, both in terms of the X's and O's, but even in terms of the personalities the locker room dynamics, and then creating a plan and strategy to attack it and, and address those things, hopefully, accordingly. Take a quick break. When we come back, we wouldn't... Well, what would a show be? What would a VanCast be without a little more Bo Horvat talk? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Harm, if Bo Horvat has, in fact, played his last game as a Vancouver Canuck, and there are some who believe that, you know, with, with the prospects game here and all the GMs here, that it's a, it's a, another moment where there can be additional dialogue and more teams can surface, and you've got this break, Horvat himself admitted, you know, that he was looking forward to just getting away from all of this with his family, going down there. Um, has he played his last game as a Vancouver Canuck? And if so, four points? Boy, you sure sent yourself off with uh, with a pretty memorable performance, Bo. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone knows for certainty whether it's his uh, last game. I think the the question that's more interesting to me is whether it's his potentially his last uh, home game. Because if I uh, recall correctly, they're going to start uh, out on the road once they come back from this break, and it's it's a pretty heavy schedule. So it's, it's probably going to be a while before we see the team back at uh, at home again. And by then, who knows what's, uh, what's happened. It's going to be interesting to see how eager Jim Rutherford is or how important he feels it is to set the market at this deadline, especially since he has the most valuable chip rather than feeling that maybe there's a, another big fish that goes first and 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 maybe worrying that all of a sudden that could change the um the dynamic certainly based off the rumors and speculations that uh trade talks have really picked up but i mean i don't know i will we'll see the game that he had against columbus it was great timing 
considering we, we still had a lot of teams who were at the top prospects in Langley and decided to to stay and, and teams that may have interest in, in some of the players that Canucks have, not just Horvat, but you had uh, Kyle Dubas here from the Leafs. You had a bunch that of was uh, just scouts. By, we- that was just my request from Drancha, though. He just wanted <laughs> Kyle to be around just so he could be in his presence for a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, so we had Dubas there. We had um, uh, scouts that we don't normally see from teams like Winnipeg, uh, Colorado, um, Oilers assistant GM, uh, Brad Holland was here, Wild uh, senior advisor Ray Shiro was was here. So a lot of high-level execs and scouts that we don't normally see. A lot of uh, teams that are going to be buying at the deadline and Horvat definitely uh, put on a show. Well, and he's going to get a chance to put on an additional show because when you look at the upcoming road trip, the Devils, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Red Wings, all four of those teams have at some point in recent weeks been mentioned as a potential suitor for Horvat. Yeah, there you go. Right up close and, and, and personal the thing is though and you you know you, you've done a series you guys have done a series uh in the athletic on teams where it does or may not make sense for Bo to go to both from their perspective and the Canucks perspective yeah it's it's interesting because when I sit back and look at the Horvat dynamic in terms of a trade the most interesting aspect for me is how confident will acquiring teams be that if they acquire Bo that that they can re-sign him and especially since we suspect that the Canucks aren't going to grant the uh, agent permission to speak with those teams ahead of time so put yourself in the contender shoes right let's say you're a team like Detroit or even even a club that doesn't view Horvat as a rental but may be interested Uh, Columbus, um, Seattle could be uh, considered a contender now, even a Winnipeg or or, or Boston or Carolina, whatever. Let's say you're a contender and you want Bo beyond this season. You're thinking, I'd be willing to give up a lot. He'd be the perfect fit at 2C, but only if I know that I can keep him beyond the season. How does that change the level of of interest you'd have or, or how aggressive you'd be with your offers? If you don't get a chance to speak with the agent beforehand on what an extension could possibly look like. It's crazy. That to me is the biggest uh, question mark. Is there a way for these teams to feel confident uh, beforehand? Is there a way for them to have uh, to be able to sort of suss out their cap situation? Maybe do some due diligence, understand Horvat as a person and maybe in a, in a roundabout way, get a feeling of, okay, could Horvat like how confident do we feel? Is there a way to gauge some level of intel on would would he be interested in in resigning here if the fit seems uh, decent? Because that's I think the the big concern from a lot of uh, uh, contenders' perspective. It's also the approach the Canucks had with uh, J T. Miller when they were shopping him. It was the same sort of thing where they didn't grant permission to uh, to other teams to speak to Miller's camp led by Brian Bartlett, which I know was a concern for some contenders. So we'll see how that dynamic plays out because I'm wondering, are are the offers going to be presented in the lens of, okay, we're treating Horvat as a pure rental and because we don't have, we don't know for sure whether we'll be able to keep him, that our offers are going to be less accordingly or is there a roundabout way for them to still feel confident and is there just going to be enough of a bidding war that you got to really step up and and blow, uh, blow Vancouver Sox off to really get a deal done? 
Yeah, no, I agree, I agree with you. And my sense of it is, is when they believe a team is really serious and they're they're kind of at an understanding on what a return would look like, that they may go down that road of letting that team have that conversation. So I don't know if the Canucks, obviously the Canucks feel they lose leverage by giving control to the owner. And they have in the past, like we've, we've talked about it with Brock Besser, right? That there's a belief that they did give his agent an opportunity to go explore a trade, which is different than exploring an extension. If you, you know, if you know what I'm saying, right? So I don't know if they believe they lose leverage. It makes no sense to me what the downside is. Because if a team is interested in Horvat as a rental and they decide that whatever the, the extension asking price is, is too large, I don't know how that affects their ability or their interest in him as a rental still. Right. Like if that's what they thought going in and then maybe this becomes the bonus, how does that change your, your thought process as a rental? So my understanding is I think there's a belief from other people I've talked to. I, I don't want to say industry sources, but uh, people who've been through this type of situation. I don't say, I don't want to say industry sources because that's a transferism. Um, that once they get really close that they may allow a team to have those discussions, but they're not at that place quite yet. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they can get closer to it between now and uh, the end of this road trip, you know, as, as the next touch point, and, you know, with the All-Star break in the middle of that. And then after that, you know, then we're just looking ahead to the All-Star break, right? But it certainly seems that in the wake of the Kuzmenko extension that there just is no path. I don't think there's a belief uh, on Horvat's side that there's a path here. I think everybody understands that it's just a matter of when this is going to happen. And it's just a case of what the return is coming back. So let's see if they can execute because, you know, we thought they were just about to sign him in July and they didn't. We thought they were just about to trade JT Miller last year at the break and before the draft and these other points and they didn't. So there's just no guarantee with this club that at the end of the day, the trigger can be pulled, right? I mean, could you imagine if they actually signed him to a seven times eight? Could you imagine? Oh, it'd be madness. It'd be crazy. It, it absolutely would be, but it, you just... I, I don't see a path to that. Just talking to both sides, I just don't see a path to that in this particular case. I think there's too much water under the bridge, but uh, here we are. Let's see. It's not done until it's done. Now, on the topic of trades, Thatcher Demko. So this isn't being necessarily talked about by the masses and on Canucks Twitter as much, but there are insiders that have dropped the thought that Thatcher Demko could be in play here. Elliot Friedman has mentioned it. Frank Cervalli has mentioned it. There have been others that have mentioned it. Like his name just kind of gets casually thrown out there. Even Dolly Walls mentioned it. Kind of at the end of a Bo Horvat or Luke Shen conversation, right? It's just a little nugget. There's more going on there. How yeah. much in play do you think Thatcher Demko is right now? Because I think it's a little bit more than people want to believe. Well, that's what's interesting to me is, okay, if I step back and let, we, we forget about whether it's a retool or a rebuild, if I just look at what's best for this organization long-term, the way I view it is Demko's on the sweetheart contract, $5 billion, and you've got three seasons left after this one. For me, I don't see a path for the Canucks to realistically contend for Cup before Demko's a UFA again. So I'd be, you know... In, in terms of my thinking of what they should be looking to do, 100%, I'd be thinking if he can get you a good haul back, that I'd 100% be open to that possibility. But then from the team's perspective, they're talking about 
turning this around sooner rather than later. They, they clearly don't want to be rebuilding. We've discussed this before that they clearly want to retool. So if that's your goal, I don't know why I'm trying to understand why they would want to deal Demko considering he's the one that, that he has, he obviously hasn't done it this season, but the logic of turning, turning it around quickly, doesn't it depend on having elite goaltending? Isn't that one of the first foundational pieces that Rutherford mentioned when he first came into this organization 13 months ago, the very first player before he even mentioned Pedersen or Hughes in terms of, what we have is building blocks to to contend hopefully sooner. He mentioned Demko. Yeah, look, if if you're talking about a retool and a fast turnaround, uh, Demko is key to that. Because quite frankly, if they were to trade Demko tomorrow and try to replace Demko, even with a, you know, a, a reclamation project veteran, throw a name out, they're going to be paying at least $4 million. Yeah. At least $4 million. Probably more. Like average goaltenders in this league are being paid $5 million, Right? I mean, you know, when you've got the, you know, uh, Edmonton bringing in guys and Toronto moving guys, like those goaltenders that are in and around those, those moves, like they're $5 million goaltenders. And they're not yeah. good. So you'd be paying them more. Um. Now, the best, best path to a tank and a true rebuild, if they ever decided to go down that way, would be to get rid of Thatcher Demko. Absolutely. Okay. The single biggest impediment to that is last season's Demko. Okay. Uh, you know, before the trade deadline, that is the biggest impediment to a rebuild. He always keeps you in games and he'll always be able to steal some when he's playing like that, assuming he gets that level of playback. So, to me, there are two options at play here because it's not about money. It is about two things. Number one, could he be used as a sweetener? If I'm a team that's a goaltender away, could I potentially move Oliver Ekman Larson if Thatcher Demko is included as a sweetener? Heck, could I move the JT Miller contract? If I decide this guy's not a center and we don't like his approach in the culture we're trying to build as a sweetener. And I, and I think that's fantasy, but the Oliver Ekman Larson piece might not be fantasy. So that's one thing. If you, you really so? are, if you really are motivated to move money, that might be a possibility. What team can take on 12 million in cap space right now though? Well, they can't. And I don't know that Thatcher Demko happens now. I think that's an off season decision. Mm -hmm. Right. Where that teams, where teams can step back and look at their situation. They need a goaltender. Like it's absolutely not a trade deadline conversation. And here's the second thing. Does Thatcher Demko want to be here? Because I've heard from people around that are close to it that Thatcher Demko doesn't want to be here. Wow. Okay. And I know Tedge is probably going to uh, quote this. But I've heard that, that there, there is some conversation in the background that Thatcher Demko is not enamored with the market, the scrutiny, the organization, whatever. Pick it. It's all of it, right? Because there was a real change in his personality last year. And I've been kind of the one guy that's been critical, okay? Um, and I've been never critical of his play, right? Even last year. And for me, if there's a player who thinks he's been treated unfairly, it can't be him. Because last year when the play fell apart, 
There was never a criticism of his play. And they, take that back. Last year when the play went from incredibly insane to average, um, there was never a criticism of the player in his marketplace. It was, he's been overworked. This was inevitable. He couldn't keep that pace up. The group in front of him is a train wreck. Nobody ever said that Thatcher Demko's play had anything to do with why they went from being right on the playoff bubble to eventually being however many points out of it that they were, right? So he got, he's had incredible treatment from the media. And then this year, he all of a sudden got a little bit surly or difficult to deal with at the front end, right? Like you could tell something had changed there. Um, and people on the back end of it that weren't media members have also implied that, um, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a change in personality here. And it's not just something that we see, but it's seen elsewhere. And my, you know, like I have heard, that he might not be enamored with the market and that he might be ready to move on. And, you know, we, we certainly believe there are some clicks in that room and he may be on, you know, the different side of, of one of those clicks. I don't know. But I've heard that he's less thrilled with wanting to be here than he previously was. So do it that way you will. But I don't know why a team wanting a retool and a quick turnaround that you said yourself is talking about Thatcher Demko in terms of a foundational building block with this organization and who they're all about. He's on an incredibly team-friendly deal for three years. Like, why would you possibly, why would his name be out there at all? Of all the people, his name should not be out there at all, period. He's not a player you want to move money off of. He's not an inefficient contract. His name should not be discussed on any level. There's only a couple of reasons. And if you're that desperate to move money that he's a sweetener, and I don't think that's it, or he might be less than thrilled with wanting to be here long term. Can you come up with any possible reason for that? Or no, Sorry, or any other reason for why his name would be mentioned by insiders at all? I mean, sometimes it could be a calculation based off of how you feel about a goalie's long-term durability as well. Yeah, but I mean, they, I'm not saying that's what it is. Come on. I'm just like thinking. they've overplayed him. Like you can't, you, you know. Yeah, I, no. But if you let's no, let's let's just again. I'm not saying this is what it is because I haven't done any digging on this situation. No, but at you got to give me a plausible solution in his case as opposed to sometimes somebody okay so unless you think this injury he is now going to make him injury prone and he's not going to get his game back like could that be a thing like i i don't believe there is any doubt in that building that he's getting his game back do you well not even that necessarily even in like look at what happened to for example a, a player like Corey schneider right where once the connects dealt him he was really good for a few few years but he didn't have that longevity in his track record because his hips just eventually gave out Again, I'm not saying this is what it is with Demko. I'm just thinking about what possibilities. Um, like the only other thing I could think of is I don't know. Maybe does do, would would a team know knowing the player better than anybody else look at uh, look at the health and and wonder about that? Um, I, again, I cannot emphasize well, this enough. This, I'm, just this, guessing, this I'm just guessing with this with this medical team. Again, uh, I, I I'm not. I got to be very clear here. I'm. We're just thinking about. We're just wondering out loud, right? This isn't, again, I have zero idea that this is actually the case. Um, and look, we don't even know, like, for certain. We've seen the insiders throw his name out there, but... It's un—it's unconscionable. Like, when you look at Pedersen, we've talked about 
uh, his desire to want to be here, right? And and I have never suggested he doesn't, right? Like we have surmised that any any normal player might think this is something I don't want to be a part of. There's nothing that leads me to believe that he definitely doesn't want to be a part of this and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? But there is some logical speculation around Pedersen going into an offseason where um, the team is able to extend him and give him a big money contract, right? That, um, you know, we'll know pretty quick. And we've seen scenarios during these off seasons where, you know, whether it's Goudreau and Kachuk in Calgary and others that have just said, no, we're done. We're not going to resign. So monetize us while you can. And, you know, we'll find that out. But the Demko thing, they've got him on control. Like he is their guy for three years at a totally reasonable ticket. Like he doesn't, if Demko plays the way he did after the trade deadline last year, which was good. It wasn't incredible, but it was good. He would still live up to that contract. You know what I mean? Right? Like he was totally overperforming it for the first two thirds of the season. But if he just played at his pace post uh, post trade deadline, it's still great value for the Canucks. And when you watch what the goaltending is doing now with much bigger sample sizes, right? Like we all love Spencer Martin until he had to play all the time. And then you saw, okay, well, you know, he, he this is what he is. He's a, he's a two. He's not a one B. He's a two. And Colin Delia, you know, might, you might be outperforming Martin now, but generally these guys are two, maybe even threes in the right organization. So it's not like they've got a solution and any other solution they bring in is going to cost them what they're paying Demko. So the fact that his name would even be out there blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's surprising to me. And I mean, we'll see. I think we're still very much in the in the early stages. I haven't made too much of it quite yet, to be honest. Um, I definitely don't think this is a scenario where he's where he's out of his way, um, where he's out the door, and we're certain about this. I mean, we'll see how this we'll see how this develops. I, I think um, we'll we'll see because again, I'm I, I don't know. I like you. I was su- surprised when um, you have insiders kind of casually bringing his name up, but that doesn't always mean that a guy is going to be moved for certain or that they're no. absolutely going to do it right because we even. We even heard that um, earlier, Friedman sort of said that uh, Patterson was the only untouchable and said that it would take a massive offer, but the Canucks would still, even for, for a guy like Hughes, right, um, that they'd be open to it. But, you know, we all know that the odds of a guy like Quinn Hughes getting dealt are, are really, really low, right? So at the end of the day, for a team in, in the Canucks situations, there should really be no untouchables. So I'm not. I think we also got to be careful not to dig too deep into a situation that hasn't really developed yet. But what you've said in terms of his potential desire to stay in Vancouver or or what the long term situation looks like, it, it is it is something to think about going into the offseason. And and I'm not suggesting for a second that he's demanded a trade, so let's not go there. But we've seen players before, like and even in Brock Besser's case, that, you know, if it happens, I wouldn't be opposed to it kind of thing, if, if you know what I mean, right? Like the soft suggestion or whatever that, you know, I, there's some people that acknowledge a change of scenery is good. I'm not telling you that's where, where Demko is, but we've seen these things at varying levels, right? So, you know, just telling you the scuttle, but I've heard that, um, you know, there there might be a, a question of desire to to want to be in the market long-term. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll leave you with that. There... <laughs> 
Um, we, um, we were hoping to get Bruce Boudreaux later this week. We don't know that that's going to be possible. Uh, we are efforting a, a guest for a VanCast later in the week, and, and certainly we will let you know uh, if that's the case. In the meantime, get on The Athletic and check out Drancher and Harm's latest article about what a perfect trade deadline would look like for the Canucks. And it's not necessarily moving this player for that, but it's just, you know, what it should look like at the end of it all. And, and, um, it's, uh, I always, I always ride Drancer for it being Mexican food. There's actually some new, new meat on the bone this time around. So I liked it. Um, meanwhile, Ryan Miller joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on the athletic hockey show USA on Tuesday. You can also follow the VanCast for your favorite, or you can also follow the VanCast on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. You can get new subscriptions to The Athletic for $2 a month. For $12 a month, when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast, we will definitely be back next week. Are you going anywhere for the All-Star break? Because you're a young guy, so usually spring break means you go to like Daytona Beach or something, no? No, I mean, this isn't spring break, right? That's, uh, I mean... That's uh for the for the university kids and reading break or whatever. I mean, I I'm the I'm same age. Still here. Come on. I mean, yeah, but I don't have like all my friends are still in classes, so I can't can't just pick up and go to Florida. Well, I will be picking up and going to Arizona, so I, I leave on Friday. For oh, nice. My son's got a seven on seven football tournament on the weekend, and then I'm there all week for Super Bowl. Uh, so that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. So our next VanCast I will be doing from a much warm, much more uh, warm weather locale than this one, but we're always indoors. So what difference does it make, right? Maybe yeah, I'll do, do poolside. I, I say that as I woke up this morning and it was so sunny and I try and get at least um, like a couple minutes of morning sunlight because apparently it's really good for your mental and physical health. Shout out to Andrew Huberman for that, uh, for that tip. But Man, I stepped out today, and even though the sunshine was amazing, I was like, "Oh God, it's so frigid! I could barely get out the door." And I, I, I yeah, I mean, it sucks. So I'm definitely gonna be <laughs> jealous of uh, of the uh, of the Arizona weather out there. Ten days in the valley of the sun. I'm looking forward to it, my guy. Oh my goodness! Stop uh, rubbing it in. No, no, I'm gonna. Usually, I'm week. the one rubbing it in. You Usually, know what? I'm the one who last season got to go to Vegas twice and. You are rubbing videos uh, poolside, and I got to go to Arizona last year as well. Got to avoid, I think it was Winnipeg and Chicago in January, so struck gold with uh, with the weather last year with traveling. So um, now you're rubbing it in. I guess it's only fair. There you go. Enjoy the break, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, you too.